And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to jump right into um, the text, right into the book of Mark again. If you've got your Bibles here, you can open to Mark chapter 3. First week we read from Mark, Mark chapter 1, the second week from Mark chapter 2. And this week we are in Mark chapter 3. And the challenge still stands. Okay, go home. Don't just listen to this. Go home. Listen to this. Take some mental notes or physical notes with you. But when you get home, go and read this week the whole chapter 3. As it's broken down into little um, stories, each one has a heading. And go and just read chapter 3 and just see who this Jesus is and what he is about. But we're going to read from Mark chapter 3. Um, right at the end of chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 22. So but just by the way, Jesus was going around. Um, he's healing people. He's driving out demons. He's doing all kinds of amazing things. People just kept flocking to Jesus to be in his presence, to see what he's about, to maybe be touched by him and be healed by him and themselves. And it got so bad that Jesus had to get on a boat to just retreat a little bit because the crowds were like crushing him. But um, then this happened. Mark 3 uh, verse 22. The teachers of the law, so these were the religious leaders, not just judges. Okay, the church and the, the courts were basically like kind of intertwined. So the Jewish law um, was the, the law that the people had to live by, but it was also religious law. So the teachers of the law are religious leaders. The teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem and they said, He, Jesus, is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons, he's driving out other demons. So what they're basically saying is, this is, this is another name. If you ever read the, in school the story, Lord of the Flies, that's what Beelzebul means. And that is just another way that they refer to Satan, to the devil. So they say Jesus is with the help of Satan driving out other demons. So Jesus, knowing what they said, called them over. Jesus is like, come closer. He called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. So a parable is a story that he told to explain something. And this is the story that Jesus uses to explain it to them. He says, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand and his end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. And then after he tied up the strong man, he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus said this. Because they, the teachers of the law, were saying that Jesus has an impure spirit. So that's what we're going to be reading tonight. When I read the story, so in this whole series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to see who Jesus was, how Jesus acted, and what that means to us. But when I read the story, and I, and I see the approach that Jesus had towards them, Jesus, at this point, is not trying to negotiate whether there is a devil or not, whether there is demons or not. Jesus accepted the supernatural world as a given reality because Jesus is also from the supernatural world. He's not just a man. He was both man and God 100% at the same time. So Jesus accepts this reality that there's good powers in this world and there's bad powers in this world. 
And Jesus basically sees life, if you read throughout his ministry, as the struggle when he talks about life as a struggle between the power of evil and the power of good. Or another way to say it is the power of Satan and the power of God. The two kingdoms are opposing each other. And when these people came to Jesus, they couldn't deny his power. Because they saw evil spirits being driven out of people. They saw sick people. They saw crippled people. They saw blind people being healed. Things that medicine back then couldn't do and things that medicine even today still can't always do. So they couldn't deny the power of Jesus. They couldn't deny that something was amazing about Jesus. But they hated Jesus because they had all the control and all the people were all about them. They were the strong men. In, in the Jewish society. And suddenly Jesus is now the strong man because people are flocking to Jesus. People want to hear from Jesus. They want to hear his teaching. They want to be healed by him. So these guys had a plan. They're like, there's, there's something special about Jesus. Let's find a way to take him out. And we're going to say that he is basically possessed by the devil. And that is how he's driving out these other demons. So who's the devil? Is this something like the devil, something like the Satan? Throughout the Bible, we read a couple of different stories about him. And in the modern world, today, a lot of people will say there is no such thing as the devil. There's just some evil in the world. And that's something we can all agree on, right? There is an evil that's present in the world that we cannot deny, a darkness in the world that we cannot deny. Jesus said that evil and the darkness comes from a person, not just from the evilness in our hearts. It comes from someone called the devil or the Satan. He was an angel in heaven. And after he rebelled against God, was kicked out of heaven. So we read, for example, in Luke 10 verse 18, that Jesus says he saw the angel fall. He saw the devil fall from heaven. So that the devil was an angel. He was in God's presence. He decided to rebel against God and he was kicked out of heaven. We also read, Paul writes in Ephesians 6 verse 12 that whether you believe it or not, you will face challenges and struggles in your life that are not against flesh and blood. That's not just against other people or a challenge that you face at work. He says our, our struggles are not against flesh and, flesh and blood, but against evil powers. And he talks about the devil. And then he talks about the armor of God. You can go and read it yourself in Ephesians 6. Peter, one of the apostles, one of the followers of Jesus, also wrote in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, he says, the devil is such a reality, he's like a lion that's on the prowl, and he's looking for someone to devour. So I wanted to give you a bit of background on this, because we live in a world where people would sometimes say there is no such thing as the devil. I want to tell you, Jesus believed that there is something like the devil, because he was in God's presence, and he was kicked out of heaven, and Jesus saw him fall from heaven, and everywhere where Jesus went, his demons possessed people, and those people that were possessed would fall down before Jesus, if you go and read chapter 3, and would shout, Jesus, Son of God, what do you, want, what, what do you have to do with us? And I want you to know this today because we can deny that the devil has any kind of power in our life or does anything. But at the end of the day, if you deny it, you also lose some of the ability to face the attacks that he might have on your life. In the Amazon forests, there, there's a kind of ants called the slave-making ants. Very simple name. I'm not even going to try to do the, the um, scientific name. You can just go and Google slave-making ants, and you will find them. So what these ants do is they send out a couple of scouts. The scouts will go and find other ant colonies, and the moment that they find an, an ant colony that 
doesn't look too powerful, they would leave a scent behind that would bring all the other soldiers from from this colony, the slave-making ants. They will attack that colony. They will kill all the workers. They will kill the queen, and they will take all the larvae, all the little baby ants that hasn't been born yet, and the eggs. They would carry up to 14,000 of these eggs back to their own colony. And then these baby ants would hatch, and they would work for this colony as if it's their own, because they believe that it's their queen. But the sad reality is that these little ants don't even realize that they are forced to be slaves from the day that they were born. And we can run the same risk in our life if we want to deny an evil power in this world, if we want to deny the existence of the devil, we run the risk of being a slave to, to a darkness, to an enemy that we don't even know exists because we don't, we've been a slave of that enemy since we were born. So today I wanted, I don't want to talk about the devil, but I wanted you to have a background that there's a real enemy. And these guys say, Jesus, you are working for this enemy. But then Jesus comes and he gives them an answer. And I think this answer is really important. Because to the people listening to Jesus and to us today, this helps us to figure out who is this Jesus truly. He said he's the son of God. But could this Jesus be someone else? And Jesus used some examples to explain to them that there is no way that he could have anything to do with the Satan. And Jesus used a very simple example. He says, the devil cannot drive out the devil. He says, why would the devil send his, his soldiers into the world, his demons, and then come and after they've possessed someone, then drive them out himself? And then he explains it this way. He says, a house that's divided in itself or a kingdom that's divided in itself will basically implode. Think about a family. A family that's divided in itself ends up in two different houses. A kingdom that's divided in itself, and you can go and look through the ages, the kingdom of Alexander the Great, all those all those big kings that didn't have a specific person to take over. Even King David in the Bible, his son rose up against him. A kingdom that's divided in itself falls apart. And what Jesus said is, is basically this. The devil is not divided, but neither is God. And this is important to us. Because not only when Jesus spoke those words did Jesus say that he's different and the opposite of the enemy, but Jesus also said that as God, he is unique and he's not divided. And one of the best attacks of our enemy, the devil, is to make us believe that God is divided in himself. So the devil will try to tell us in the world that we live in today, he will try to convince us that God is anything that you worship and that the path to eternal life or to paradise or to reincarnation or whatever people believe are all the same thing. We just have a different perspective. So, that, so some people would say, whether you believe in Buddha, whether you believe in Allah, or whether you believe in, um, in Krishna or whatever, it's all the same. We just have a different perspective of God. But what is interesting is whenever Jesus spoke, Whenever God spoke, he said very clearly that he's not divided, he's one God. So in the Ten Commandments, God says, I am God and there's no other gods. 
Jesus spoke about his father and about himself throughout the New Testament. And when we get to the book of Acts 4, when Jesus is preached about after he ascended to heaven, the apostles preached and they said in Acts 4 verse 12 that salvation is found in no one else except in Jesus, for no other name has been given through which we can be saved. You see, God is not divided. God is not a bunch of different gods. If he was a bunch of different gods, if he did have different names, then Jesus would have said, believe in any higher power because it all comes down to me at the end of the day. But he's not. He said, the devil is the devil. He's not divided. And I am who I am. And I'm not divided. And we need to know that because if we hope to, to have this love in our life that can overcome anything in our life, we need to clearly define who this Jesus is. Or else our own spiritual home, our own religious home will fall apart. So let's talk about this Jesus. When we went to verse 27, when we read that, Jesus used another example to talk about the house of a strong man. And Jesus said, you cannot enter the house of a strong man unless you tie him up first, and then you can plunder his house. You see, the devil is strong, and he's got power. He is a lion looking for someone to devour. There is sin and addiction and things in our life that is strong, that has power over us, that keeps us hostage that we feel we cannot break loose from. There is financial troubles that we might sometimes face, and I've got no idea how to get past this because it is strong, and it's called a hold on my life. Or there might be some kind of thing that I, some kind of crisis or a worry or a doubt that I have about God that has a hold on my life, and I feel like no matter what I do, this thing is keeping me hostage, and I can't break free from this. But when Jesus was telling this, when he was sharing this parable, this story, he was saying that the devil is strong, and your problems might be strong, and your crisis might be strong, but there's someone that's stronger that will come into the house, that will tie up the strong man, and that will save you, that will plunder the things from the strong man. And when Jesus said that, when Jesus talked about this man that is stronger, he was referring to himself. You see, Jesus said that the kingdom of the devil is not self-destructing from inside, it's not just randomly imploding. Jesus is saying that it is overcome from the outside. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, the devil didn't just go back and lie down with that victory on the cross when Jesus rose again from the outside. He overcame the power of our enemy. He overcame the power of sin. He overcame the power of addiction. He overcame sickness and crises and doubt. Everything that we might face in this life that feels like it's stronger than us. Jesus did not die on a cross because he was weak. Or because it was just an unfortunate event. Or because he was just a victim of his circumstances. Jesus died on a cross because it was his calling. Jesus died on the cross because he was strong enough to face that pain. Because he was big enough and strong enough to take the punishment for sin that was supposed to be on us. And he took that on himself. That was a love. That is a love that's stronger than any challenge you and I can ever face. Jesus is stronger than the addictions you face in your life. 
whether that's an addiction to any kind of substance or to pornography or to your cell phone or to other people. Jesus is stronger than the temptations you might face in your life. When you see something that you really want, Jesus is stronger than the sin in your life that you feel you cannot break free from. Jesus is stronger than the crisis you're facing. Jesus is stronger than a bad relationship with your parents or with your spouse or with the neighbor. Jesus is stronger than the financial crisis you're facing after you've lost your job or after you've bought a house and you don't know how you're going to pay your next bond. Jesus is stronger than the worries you're facing. I want to tell you that he's even stronger than the doubt you sometimes have about him. He's stronger than your unbelief. He has conquered every power in this world. Why is it important for us to know who this Jesus was? Who this Jesus is? Because I want to tell you today that this Jesus was fighting for you before you even knew that a strong man moved into your house. Jesus was fighting for you before the day you were born. Jesus was fighting for you before that temptation got a hold of your life. Jesus was fighting for you before you fell victim to some kind of an addiction. You see, he has been caring for you and he's been fighting for you all your life. And whether you believe it or not, we all need a savior from something in our life. And I believe there's only one that's strong enough to save us. And that's Jesus. I also believe that it's important for us to know who this Jesus is, to know that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the only name, it's the only name through which we can have access to God, our Father. Because if we don't know who He is, we run the risk of overlooking Him and losing Him in the process. In verse 28, read about an unforgivable sin. A sin that can never be forgiven. Now, if you are like me, I am sure that there's a time in your life, and maybe it's tonight when you read those words, that you might have thought, man, I hope that I haven't done the unforgivable sin. Have I done anything in my life that God cannot forgive me for? Have I done something in my life that one day when I get to heaven that God will say, sorry, dude, the door is closed, you cannot get through? I want to tell you, no matter what sin you've done, no matter how bad your life has been, no matter where you've come from or in what house you grew up in, nothing is so bad that you cannot be forgiven for it. And I know tonight that you have not done something that you cannot be forgiven for because you are here. And the unforgivable sin is not about something you do. It is about a process. You see, Jesus said it is about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. It's not just about saying, God, I hate you. God, I want, don't want anything to do with you. This is what, what the unforgivable sin is. Blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is a process of sin. We read in Ephesians 4 verse 30 that every time when we do sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. You make him sad. You hurt God. Every time when you swear, every time when you have a thought that you're not supposed to have, every time when you have a bad relationship with a neighbor or you get angry or you do something that God says you're not supposed to do, you grieve the Holy Spirit, you make Him sad. But you can still be forgiven for any of those things. 
But then what happens, the more we do sin, the harder our heart becomes. And we read in the book of Acts, Acts 7 verse 51, that we start to resist His Spirit then. So there's some kind of sin in my life that I feel like I cannot break with. I like this thing so much, I cannot let it go because it's too important to me. So I start to resist his spirit. So his spirit, well, that, you know that, still, that little voice inside your life that tells you, man, Louis, you're, you're busy with the wrong stuff. That could be the Holy Spirit. And you're like, nope, I'm okay. I know this is wrong, but I'm going to continue doing it. So you start to resist him. You start to push against God. And then the last point is we get... We read in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19 that we get to a point where we then quench the spirit in our life. So basically see it like this. Our lives are like a big pipe with water flowing through it. The Bible says when you believe in Jesus, you get the spirit of God. He moves into your life. That's the water flowing through this pipe that's your life. But every time we do sin, it's like these little stones and these little leaves that starts to fill up this pipe. But when we repent, when we say, God, we're sorry, we don't want this in our life because it's hurting me, it's hurting other people, it's hurting you. All those things get flushed out of this pipe and the Spirit of God still flows through you. You see, but then when I get this sin that I don't want to let go of, it's like this stone. And when I do it again, there's another stone on top of it and another one. And it starts to clog up this pipe. And the stream flowing through our life gets smaller and smaller. So one day where I've resisted God so much, where I'm like, God, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to ask for forgiveness for my sin. I don't care about you. Where this gets all clogged up. And the flow of God's Spirit through your life, you block it. See, that is the unforgivable sin. Because we know, and Jesus said it himself, that any sin can be forgiven except one. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And we know that throughout the Bible that we read, no matter what you've done, whether you've killed someone, whether you've, you swear a lot, whether you've had an affair, whether... You have an addiction. No matter what you've done, you can be forgiven for it because of the cross of Jesus Christ. But there's a condition. And the condition for that forgiveness is that you will see the grace, that you will accept the grace of Jesus Christ, and that you will hate your sin, that you will break with those things that damage the relationship between you and God and you and other people. That's a condition. Accept His grace and leave the bad stuff behind. But if we don't do that, as we start to continue in sin and our hearts harden, what happens is we can't see the beauty of God anymore. We can't see His grace anymore. We can't see His love. Because it's the Holy Spirit that shows us who God is. It's the Holy Spirit that shows us His beauty. And when you can't see the grace of Jesus anymore, you lose the ability to accept it and believe it for yourself. I want to tell you tonight, Jesus is stronger than any sin you might face. He's stronger than any attack that the devil, our enemy, could ever launch in your life. He's stronger than your temptations and your pain and your hurt.
And I know I need a strong man in my life. I need Jesus. I need a love that's greater than all my mistakes. What about you? You can be forgiven no matter who you are. We talked about the first week. You can experience the touch of Jesus in your life that can restore your dignity, that can restore your life. We talked about it last week, that that you can experience God's love in such a way that it changes you completely. It doesn't just change one aspect in your life. It changes everything about you. But you need to accept it and you need to believe it for yourself. So what about you? Will you surrender your life to Jesus? Will you say, God, Jesus, be the strong man in my life. Be my savior. Or will you allow other things to continue to hijack your life? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are greater, that you are stronger, That your love has conquered everything. I want to pray tonight, Lord, for every single person that's sitting here that is still facing a strong man in their own lives. That's not you. That's still facing pain or hatred or unforgiveness or sin or addiction or shame. A crisis, a illness, pain. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that you will bind these things in our lives, that you will set us free. Thank you that we know you are not a divided God. Thank you that we know that you are a God that's strong enough to save. And I pray tonight, Jesus, that, that you will continue knocking on the doors of our hearts. Until we surrender to you, until we allow you to change our lives completely. In Jesus' name, amen.